Let's turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll be looking at two verses this morning. Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer has been giving a series of instructions for Christian living. And he picks up in verse 24... And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We pointed out last week that beginning in verse 19 of this chapter, all the way to the end of the epistle. The author's concern is to impress on his readers, which include you and me, the practical implications of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ's sacrificial atoning work for us. That having dealt with the doctrinal truths related to the person and work of Christ in the preceding chapters, His focus is now on the meaning of those truths for the lives of his readers. So regarding the implication of Christ's priestly sacrificial work for our lives as Christians, we saw last week that it means, first of all, a new privilege in worship, a new privilege in worship. Says the writer there, beginning at verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. He's talking there on the subject of worship. And the burden of what he's saying there is this, that in consequence of Christ's atoning work in which he has opened up this new way for us, we can come boldly, we can come confidently into the very presence of God and worship without fear, without trepidation. Second, suggested by the writer, is that the superior priestly sacrificial work of Christ means for us as Christians, and we considered this last Sunday afternoon, a new power for living, a new power for living, We don't have time to develop that point, to uh, rehearse that point, but I'll just read the verse. He says there in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the sacrificial work of Christ for us as Christians means, first of all, a new privilege in worship. It means a new power for living, and we come this morning to the third implication of the sacrificial atoning work of Christ for us as Christians. And it is this a new purpose in fellowship. A new purpose in fellowship. The writer says there in verses 24 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
having dealt with our upward relationship with God in worship, verses 19 through 22, the writer now turns to our outward relationship with our fellow believers in worship. And here in verses 24 and 25, he addresses an all-too-common problem that plagues many a Christian today, and that is the matter of not attending church. There are all kinds of views and attitudes today, not only with regard to church membership, but church attendance. Some believe that church is not that important. Some believe that it is important, but that's just the way it is. We just take it as it comes. And we want to begin this morning by considering some reasons as to why as Christians, we should gather with other believers. Reasons as to why we should assemble ourselves with other believers in Christ. And we begin with this observation that from time immemorial, it has been the custom of God's people to assemble, to gather together for the worship of God and the mutual edification and encouragement of one another. During the wilderness wanderings, the tabernacle was the gathering point for the people of Israel. In fact, you remember when God gave instruction to Moses to erect this tabernacle, to build this tabernacle, God's express purpose, he says, build this tent, this tabernacle, where I can meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle was a rallying point for the people of God as they wandered in the wilderness. In the Psalter, we find many references to the people of God assembling for worship at the temple in Jerusalem. After the tabernacle, we, of course, we had the temple in Jerusalem. Psalm 55 verse 14, the psalmist recalls a time when he and other worshippers, quote, took sweet counsel together, and walked to the house of God in company. You have there an imagery of fellowship, an imagery of assembly, the assembly of the people of God. He recalls a time in Psalm 42 verse 4, how he would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival he says, and for the psalmist, this was in no way some kind of tedious drudge, because as himself testifies in Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4, here's the point, the psalmist did not find it a tedious drudgery to attend the worship of God regularly, because he says there in Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4, he says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of our Lord. Psalmist makes the point there that it was decreed by the Lord for Israel to go to this central place of worship. You can read of that in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Throughout the Psalms, we find such terms as 
the great assembly, Psalm 23, verse 12, the congregation of the people, Psalm 107, verse 32, the company of the upright in the congregation, Psalm 111, verse 1, the assembly of the godly, Psalm 149, verse 1, all of which point not only to the idea of the people of God coming together for the worship of God, for fellowship, but that in such gathering, God is preeminently worshipped. And praised. Now, besides a temple, the synagogues facilitated the practice of God's people meeting together. In fact, the etymology of the word synagogue, the word synagogue is derived from a contraction of two words, sin, which means with or together, and the other word meaning gathering. So synagogue literally is gather together. The synagogue was a place of worship. It was a place of instruction in the Torah, the law, or Lord Jesus. We learn from Luke chapter 4, verse 16, made it a habit to visit the synagogue in Jerusalem each Sabbath. We read there in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Attending the weekly synagogue services as a matter of habit, as a matter of weekly routine, Jesus, we could say, placed a tremendously high premium on this matter of corporate worship, of gathering with other worshipers. He never saw this matter as one in which it was not really important. He never saw this matter of being in the assembly of worshipers as optional as something that was not important. And we can readily assume that he didn't allow anything to displace this weekly act of devotion. The word of God says there, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was our Lord Jesus. And yet today, many a professing Christian will give some of the slimmest excuses for being absent from church, from worship. Somebody will say, well, I have visitors, I have relatives visiting, so I can't be there. I'm just tired. I just feel to chill today. Now, I must caution you with what I'm saying. I would ask you not to take it um, personally. I'm just simply telling you what obtains, and I'm saying to you that it is not a good thing to absent oneself from public worship. At least, it is not right to do so on an ongoing, regular basis. Well, fast forward to the first century church, and from the book of Acts, we see clearly that the early Christians were given to regularly gathering for worship, for instruction in the word of God, and for fellowship, not just on the Lord's Day, but during the week. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 tells us, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We learned in the previous chapter they were gathered together in the upper room. They were there praying. We learned from Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that no sooner had individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that great sermon the apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And we are told there in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, Luke's commentary was this. He says concerning those who 
came to faith in Christ, here's what he says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. All who believed were together, says Acts chapter 2 verse 44, Acts chapter 2 verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together. By the time we get to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we hear Luke reporting concerning the church at Troas on the first day of the week. When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There I have a justification for preaching long. <laughs> now I tell you, I will not preach long. Paul could do that. But you know, when Paul preached that night, something happened. Now it tells us how Paul went, went on. He was preaching, preaching, and a young man by the name of Eutychus, he was sitting on some height near a window, and he fell, he died. Thankfully, Paul raised him from the dead. Now, here's the point. Why not preach long? Because, you know, if anything should happen, I can't do anything. Read the epistles, and what you'll find are abundant evidences that believers of the apostolic churches were in the habit of gathering together on the Lord's day. They're in the habit of gathering together at prescribed times for worship, instruction, fellowship, and the breaking of bread or communion. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4, Paul takes it as a given that the Corinthian Christians have their time when they are assembled. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and 20, he envisages their coming together for the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, 26, he sees them coming together for the purpose of mutual exhortation and edification. We see clearly then that throughout the word of God, throughout the New Testament, the assembly of the saints, their meeting together for fellowship was integral to their testimony and commitment to Christ. It was for them a natural way of life. And that being the case, we could say that what we are witnessing in our time as regards the practice of many a professing Christian toward church attendance is certainly a far cry from what the New Testament portrays as the pattern of what is normative for true believers in Christ. And when we consider what the church means to our Lord Jesus, when we consider the high premium that our Lord Jesus places on the church, we could say this, it is really astounding to see the scant, nonchalant regard many professing Christians give to the church. As I said earlier, for many a Christian, professing Christian, church attendance is deemed not that important. If I'm not busy... They say, or if I feel like it, I'll show up. It's not that important. Oh, they might not say it in so many words, but at least that's what is conveyed by their attitude. This has been the case before COVID, and after COVID, it's perhaps even worse. You know, brethren, COVID has, if I might use the expression, fundamentally transformed 
not for good, but for bad, how church is regarded in our time. And it is not my intention to be offensive. In fact, as a church, we have been very careful Certainly as leaders, in terms of the leadership of the church, we have been careful not to make statements because we know the sensitivities that surround this matter. In fact, when it comes to precautions concerning the issue of COVID. But let me say this. Uh, Something is definitely and fundamentally wrong with the picture Where one can do everything else, going shopping, going to the supermarket, going here, going there, despite concerns about COVID, and yet find it not possible to attend church. Something has to be wrong with that picture. And I would say something has to be fundamentally wrong with that picture because what that reveals, beloved, it reveals the issue of what? Priority. What is priority? What we deem important. We see that in the pattern of the early church, in in fact, going all the way back to the Old Testament, looking at the life of our Lord Jesus The saints of old regarded assembling together as normative for their faith in God, for their faith in Christ. And let me suggest to you, beloved, and again, I have to be cautious here. Let me make one little caveat. Again, not being offensive. Let me say this. We well understand that there are some people who, because of health reasons, because of Age, because of infirmities, they can't be here. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about situations where people are incapacitated. We're talking about situations where people are able-bodied. However, when it comes to the matter of attending church, faithfully attending, giving regard to the assembly of the saints, it's as though it doesn't really matter. I'm going to make a bold statement this morning. It's not a popular statement. And as we go on, you will see why I made the statement. Not to be faithful to one's local church in terms of regularly attending the services, being there for the prescribed service. And guess what? We're not saying, here's what we're not saying. We're not saying that Every time the doors are open, automatically we must be there. It, it would be nice. Well, we're not even going there. What we are talking about is just a pattern, a way which suggests, listen, I come when I feel like it. It's really no big deal. And, uh, you know... You know, people just glide in, do whatever. Let me make a statement. It's not popularly taught. You don't hear it often. But let me say this. If what we see in the word of God as the pattern, if what we see in the word of God obtained in the early church, if what we see in the word of God 
as something that is prescribed by God as church attendance, as faithful, regular attendance is not adhered to, let me suggest this, that to be operating that way is to be living sinfully. It is to be living sinfully. And we're going to see, my friends, later on, that this matter is not just a matter of option. It's a matter of obligation. It's not just a matter of choice. It is actually a command in Scripture. There's a mistaken idea today that Zoom has become a new way of doing church. And Zoom can never be a substitute for church. Once again... Here's the point that I'm making. If a person is incapacitated, Zoom is a wonderful blessing and should be taken advantage of. But able-bodied believers, my friend, who would not be in the assembly, who would rather stay in comfort, stay in a couch, watching a screen, let me suggest to you that that is not a substitute for church. And I'm not wanting to sound condescending, but I think it needs to be said, and it needs to be said firmly. Why? Because we have gone today 180 from the New Testament pattern, from the New Testament imagery of what church is all about In the New Testament, the essential idea of the church is that of a gathered body of believers. The church is not simply, as we, we sometimes say, etymologically speaking, a called out people. The essential inherent idea of the church as portrayed in the New Testament is that of a gathered body. Here our Lord Jesus in Matthew 18 verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That's what our Lord Jesus says. Everywhere in the New Testament, the assumption is that if one professes faith in Christ, if one comes to Christ as Savior, if one is truly saved, one will faithfully and regularly att attend the assembly of the saints one will attend and be with those of like faith. That's what is suggested in the word of God. Now someone will ask the question, does one have to go to church to be a Christian? And the answer to that is simply this, absolutely not. Why? Because faith in Christ alone is what saves. Not church membership, not attend. Listen, you, would, you and I could attend church every week and be lost. It's not church attendance. It's not church membership. But here's the deal. As, a, as our president says, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Once a person is truly saved, he or she will want to be with other Christians. He or she will love the things that Christ loves. And among the many things that Christ loves is this. Christ loves his church, which consists of those who are saved. 
So we should regularly assemble with other believers. Why? Because the clear pattern in Scripture, first of all, is this, that it has been the custom of the people of God from time immemorial to gather to assemble with the saints. Our Lord Jesus set the pattern where we are told in Scripture, Luke 4, verse 16, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue. I would say this, if that was true of our Lord Jesus, my friend, then how much more does it need to be true of you and me? We need the fellowship of the church. Secondly, we should regularly assemble with other believers because neglecting to do so signals spiritual decline. Now, I know somebody could really take me on on this and challenge me on this, but I stand by the authority of the word of God. And as I said, we have scripture to suggest this. That if a person is able to attend and refuses and is neglectful, is remiss in so doing, and it becomes a pattern, then that signals spiritual decline, dogmatically so. Spiritual decline. When a believer neglects the assembly of the saints, it won't be long before he or she grows spiritually cold. Separated from that support system that God has put in place for his or her development, he or she will in time languish spiritually. You have perhaps heard the anecdote. I'm not sure if it actually happened. I used to think it was the, the pastor here was Spurgeon. But according to this narrative, a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening. The pastor found the man at home alone sitting before a blazing fire. I think the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big chair near the fireplace and waited. The pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs. After some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth, all done, all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. As the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. Just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. Then we are told, as the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back in church next Sunday. <laughs> Undoubtedly, beloved, neglecting to gather together for fellowship with other believers signals spiritual decline. 
In fact, suggested in verses 23 to 25 of our text, if you look at verses 23 to 25 of our text, there is a direct correlation between regular church attendance and holding fast the confession, the profession of one's faith. Verse 23, holding fast, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And notice what comes right after, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching. It suggests there that where we are away from the fellowship for a prolonged period, where we're not paying attention to this matter of our responsibility to gather together with the saints, we are in a vulnerable position spiritually where we are on the decline spiritually. Go back to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 of the book of Hebrews. Remember the warning. Remember that warning the writer gave his readers there about becoming spiritually hardened and how to counteract that tendency? Remember what he said? We read there in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In fact, look at verses 26 through 31, which we're going to consider next week. He issues the warning there. He says, if we keep on sinning willfully, now what is suggested there is this, that because they were in the habit of Neglecting the fellowship. They found themselves, I friend, in a vulnerable situation where there was a tendency for them to drift, where the tendency for them to become cold, the tendency for them to become hardened, the tendency for them to go on in a life of sin. My friends, gathering together as a people of God protects us, it safeguards us. Against spiritual decline. That's why we need to assemble. We should regularly assemble with other believers third because here it comes, it is the most natural thing for the true believer in Christ to desire the assembly of God's people. It is the most natural thing for the true believer in Christ to desire the assembly of God's people. To love the assembly of the saints, we would say, is the outgrowth, it is the natural consequence of the family relationship which believers share with others who, like him or her, are united to Christ. And as been well said, we may test the reality of Jesus' lordship in our lives by love for his people and our sense of commitment to him. To the extent that we love God's people, to the extent that we love Christ, we will want to be with his people. That's his idea. In the fourth place, we should regularly assembly, assemble with other believers because gathering together as a people of God provides an effective means for mutual strength and support. Gathering together with other believers provides an effective means for mutual strength and support. Indeed, when we consider the intense persecutions which the early Christians underwent, the ostracism they faced from their fellow Jews, 
clearly the key factor which fortified them, which held them together, was their uniting with their fellow believers in Christ regularly. We see, for example, in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, how that after Peter and John had been interrogated, they had been held for questioning by the religious authorities concerning preaching in the name of Jesus. There they were being persecuted. We are told there that after the authorities had let them go, here's what the Bible says, Acts 4, 23, 24, they went to their friends. By the way, the word friends there, in the original, it's not friends. The word is idios, which means own. This the translation, the ESP puts friends. But literally, the word is own. So they went to their own, suggesting that they related to one another as a family. And here's what Luke tells us. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God in prayer. That's where they found their strength. That's where they found their fortitude in the face of fiery persecution in the assembly of the saints in regularly gathering with their own So the local church, we could say, is effectively a support group. God has designed it that way. And then fifthly, we should gather regularly. We should assemble assemble with other believers regularly. Why? Because gathering together as a people of God is a matter of obedience to God. You can see then why we said earlier that it's sinful to be neglecting this Discipline this area of our Christian lives. Gathering together as the people of God is a matter of obedience to God. Of all the various reasons as to why we should be thrown together in regular fellowship with other believers in Christ is the fact that the word of God commands us to. That's the ultimate reason for Christians coming together. And I would say, beloved, as Christians, we gather together not primarily because we find it pleasant and appealing to do so, as good a reason as that is, but because God said we should. That is the first and foremost reason why we gather as Christians. It's because God says we must. It's there in Scripture, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's there. Which means that for the believer in Christ, meeting together in the context of the local church is not optional, but obligatory. It's not a matter of choice, it's a matter of command. As the late preacher and teacher R.C. Sproul puts it, he says this quote, If we don't feel like going to church, we are to do it anyway. It's a privilege to come near to God and to worship with other believers, but it's also a sacred duty. End quote. Now, this tendency to be neglectful of meeting with other believers really is nothing new. It's nothing new. Somebody would say, well, don't feel bad. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you don't feel bad. I'm not going to tell myself don't feel bad, but just wanted to know it's nothing new, really. That's been an age-old problem. In fact, even in the first century church, there were some who were in the habit of not gathering together with the saints. We see that in our text. He says, as is the manner of some. 
the writer says this in verses 24, 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit. The Greek word there is ethos, from which we get our English word ethos, as is the ethos of some, the custom of some. Now it appears that these Hebrew Christians, the reason why they were neglecting, we're not told precisely why they were neglecting the fellowship. But we can do a close reading of the text. We can do a close reading of the book of Hebrews and, you know, come up with some kind of suggestion. These are not final. But it may have been that in identifying with their fellow believers in public worship, they were exposed to taunts and ridicules which they really feared. Who likes to be taunted? Who likes to be ridiculed? It seems that some of these Christians gave up the habit of meeting together. Why? Because of fear of being ridiculed, fear of being taunted when seen with other believers in that manner. And there's a possible allusion to this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 33. Here's what the writer says in Hebrews 10, 32 to 33, suggesting that this may have been the reason why they were neglecting to meet with all the believers. He says there, by way of encouragement, he says, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So that may have been the reason why they say, you know, persecution is there. And I can't afford to go. I don't like being taunted. I don't like being ridiculed. I don't like to be made a laughing stock. So I'll just stay home. By the way, let me suggest, beloved, that we need to gear our minds, you see, for the possibility that one of these days we might not have the freedom to gather here as freely as we like. What do we then do with gathering together? Let me say this, if we don't, if a Christian does not take seriously the matter of attending church, of assembling with other believers, when time of persecution comes, then it's not going to matter anyway. And we have to gear our minds, you see, because here's the point. The test of our love for Jesus Christ, the test of our commitment to him, is going to be seen in the premium, the priority we give to what matters to God. And one of the things that matters to God is what? The assembling of his people. Another possible reason why they had slackened off in their church attendance, suggested by chapter 6, verse 12, is, just, is this, sheer laziness. Sheer laziness. Perhaps an account, by the way, the reference for that, allusion, chapter 6, verse 12. It may have been, thirdly, that on account of spiritual weariness, discouragement as suggested in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 3 to 13 they simply slumped into isolation cut themselves off from the fellowship they had gotten to the point where they felt like just being alone have you ever been there yes I'm sure some of us have been there and let me say this in all truthfulness times of discouragement you see times of discouragement Times of trials, sufferings, are quite often times when many a believer withdraws 
from the assembly turning inwardly. Which is ironic. Because those are precisely the times when one needs all the strength, all the encouragement that's to be found largely in the assembly of God's people. And Satan knows that. Satan knows that discouragement is bred in isolation, that, sub, that, that discouragement and suffering, my friends, can derail us spiritually, can cause us to withdraw ourselves from the place, the source of our strength, of our sustenance, and he'll do everything to keep us away from the assembly. And my friends, such neglect in the area of church attendance can creep upon us, may I say this, upon the best of Christians. It matters not who you are. It matters not your level of maturity, your spiritual maturity. If I were to ask this question this morning, how many of you feel that sometimes, you know, I'd just rather stay home today? Right? I'm sure if we're honest, many of us, I'm going to at least say many of us, including myself. Maybe not you. Let, let, let it be on me. You may have heard the anecdote of the man who slept in one Sunday morning. And I, I don't really give into anecdotes and all that, but I find this quite apropos. This man slept in one Sunday morning. His wife insisted that he wake up and get ready for church. To which the man replied, give me three reasons why I should go to church today. Sort of mumble it. Give me three reasons why I should go to church today. And he pulled the covers over his head, even as he said that. His wife had three ready answers. First, it is the Lord's day, and it is your duty to assemble with God's people for corporate worship. Secondly, the Lord has been good to our family, and we should give thanks for his blessing. Thirdly, you are the pastor of the church. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us. You see, as God designed it, I'm going to draw to a close for now. As God designed it, beloved, the spiritual health and development of believers in the Christian life comes by mutual ministry. It comes by way of Christians spiritually attending to one another within the context of the local church. And as such, our author to the Hebrews summons his readers to their obligation. He, 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 he cites it as a matter of obligation to one another. You know, that they have this obligation to one another. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We'll pick up on this this afternoon. But I'm going to be like the writer of the Hebrews and say, even though. I'm speaking like this. I'm not intending to speak in a condescending way. I'm not intending to be offensive. I'm not intending to be harsh. Let me tell you, it, all of us is in this thing together. All of us, we are in this thing together, right? All of us, we are, we need this counsel. The best of us 
We find ourselves drifting. We find ourselves wandering. We find ourselves going astray. And let me tell you, our hearts are not always, if we are honest, set on the things of God. And that's why we need one another. We need one another for encouragement. If one thing, if there's one thing I trust we'll leave with this morning, is that we'll at least see that God takes serious of the church, and when we are neglectful and remiss in assembling ourselves together, we are necessarily living sinfully. We are living sinfully. Why? Because we are neglecting a clear command of Scripture. And I close with this point. There are many Christians, I'm not talking necessarily this church, there are many Christians since COVID who have not taken the Lord's Supper. Read Scripture concerning the biblical teaching on the Lord's Supper and you'll discover that the Lord's Supper is a command, right? And there are benefits from, that, that are to be derived from the Lord's Supper. And when one stays from the Lord's Supper, one actually is on spiritual decline. One is on a path of spiritual decline. Once again, once again, for the sake of clarity, persons who are incapacitated, persons who for all intents and purposes cannot be in the fellowship, because of illness, age, infirmity. Listen, God has his way of ministering. But where one is able and one is in clear disobedience to the known will and word of God, that, my friends, constitutes a sin which we must take care of. It is not good. And we must as the writer says, stir one another, encourage one another. May God grant that this might be so in our, in our fellowship for his name's sake. Amen.